Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. We continue tonight, and we actually conclude tonight, our series on health and the cross. And uh, we open this series, Lesson 1, with the importance the Bible places on loving God with all of ourselves. The Scripture commands us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as Christians, we see this idea throughout the Old and New Testament, that we love and live for God with our whole selves. And so we first looked at the fact that we are spirit, we are made up of spirit, just as we are to be born in the image of God, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And then uh, we looked at 10 questions concerning our spiritual health in addition to the complexities around the pre-meal prayers. That seems to be the standout thing in this lesson or in this series. Lesson two, we talked about physical health, and we talked about Five things that the Bible speaks to us directly concerning our health. What we eat, what we drink, our exercise, sleep, and rest. Last week, Pastor Kristen talked about emotional health. Emotional health is made possible through our willingness to give God full access to every part of our life. And healing is not the absence of pain. Healing is the removal of of its influence. And she talked about four things the Bible instructs us to do in order to be emotionally healthy. Number one, because Jesus died so that we could be he- we could be healed, we grieve. And so we forgive and we make peace and we press on. And so tonight we will conclude this series on health and the cross, talking about mental health. Rene Descartes, a French philosopher during the 1600s, coined this Latin phrase, cogito ergo sum, which is commonly translated, I think, therefore I am. It means I know I exist because... I think. And in grade school, your teachers probably said to you, it's time to put on your thinking cap. It meant, I need your attention. I need you to engage your brain in this process. And wouldn't it be nice to have actually a thinking cap? I think it would be nice because you could focus, but you could also let people know, like, look, I'm not going to think right now, so stop talking to me in ways that are making me think. You could know if that person was really thinking about what you were saying. I don't know. It just sounds great. Maybe AI will help us achieve that someday. But the human mind is incredible. You're capable of logical thought. You're capable of abstract reasoning, deductive analysis, not to mention the emotions that Kristen spoke about last week, ranging from sadness, joy, anger, fear, and disgust. Our mind is incredible. The greater thinker and the philosopher of the Old Testament, Solomon, said this, For as he thinks in his heart, 
so is he. As he thinks in his heart, so is he. What we think, we are. Aristotle, in considering the idea of thought, proposed that there was a difference between perception of thought and intellect. In summary, Aristotle suggested that perception is entirely passive. Intellect has an active component. The passivity of perception seems obvious from Aristotle's description of it as a kind of being affected by. And so there are thoughts that we have because we've perceived something and there's an effect that happens. We do not choose to perceive most times. When a functioning sensory system is presented with a sensible object of the right type, perception occurs, and you could say a thought occurs. But the intellect, Aristotle claimed, is not entirely passive. Thinking, he suggested, does not just happen to us. It is something we do. And as we look tonight at mental health and the specific scriptures that we that deal with thought, I think it's important that we realize that the Bible calls for not just a passive thought life, but an active thought life. We must not just hope that the Spirit gives us the thoughts we need to overcome our emotions or deal with our troubles. But we must be an active participant in controlling the thoughts that we have with the help of the Spirit. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you are given a helper, not just something that's controlling your thoughts. And so it's important for us to realize that we have an active role in thinking. Does that make sense? Natural maturity is marked by the change not just in the body, but in the mind. In studies of the teen brain, scientists and medical professionals have determined that the brain is not fully matured until around the age of 24 years old. You may have heard me talk about this. Until the 1990s, a neuroscientist, the neuroscientists believed that the brain was fully developed by the time a child reached puberty and that the 100 billion neurons or nerve cells inside an adult skull were already in place by the time pimples began to sprout. The thought was that teenagers were capable of thinking like adults, so all the teenagers needed was the necessary software, a.k.a. education, to go into the ready hardware, a.k.a. the brain. This was until in the late 1990s, they began doing testing on the teen brain using fMRI, which is functional magnetic resonance imaging and it studied the teen brain while they were doing things. They were 
doing things and actively allowing them to see which part of the brain was being used as teenagers and adults did certain tasks. One of the tasks that they studied, they would show teenagers photos that depicted different emotions like anger, sadness, happiness, confused. And what they saw was that adults, when they saw the pictures, they would use the the area in the frontal lobe would light up and to signify that they were using the frontal lobe area, the more logical part of the brain. Whereas when teenagers were making this same decision about what the picture looked like, they were using the amygdala, which is the emotional part of the brain. And thus we realize why Bishop Norman R. Pasley II would say adolescence is Greek for Armageddon. (laughs) Because teenagers think emotionally. Somebody say amen. You know that's right. I'm getting ready to swim in that lake here. Yeah, in a lot of ways we already are. And this research does me no good. <laughs> but we, we realize that living by our emotions and feelings is a dangerous thing for teenagers. That's why they drive erratically in cars and do crazy things and jump off bridges and different things just for the excitement, the adrenaline, because their brain craves this emotional connection, this frontal Part, this frontal lobe of their brain has not developed. The, the uh, real science behind it is that uh, the, t- the junior high years are literally a repeat of the toddler years. That there's growth happening in the brain. So now light bulbs are turning on everywhere like, oh, that makes sense, yeah. But, but I would like to challenge us a little bit that not only is it dangerous for preteens and adolescents to live by our emotions, it's unhealthy spiritually for adults to live by emotions alone. Therefore, tonight I want to help us see how the Word of God encourages us to have healthy, active thoughts. Not that we don't feel emotions or even respond to emotions, but we realize that the power that God has given us has been given us to have a spirit-led, active thought life. Paul said something amazing while he was imprisoned and in chains. In Acts chapter 26, verse 2, he said, I think myself happy. He's talking to this king And he's in prison. He's in front of this king, but he said, I think myself happy. I'm not acting like I'm not in chains. I'm not ignoring it. But I've chosen to think something different than my circumstance calls for. It's not that, and I'm not suggesting this positive thinking popularized by Norman Vincent Peale. This is... I believe God calls for a thought life empowered by the Spirit of God and the Word of God 
to transform and to help us think the way he wants us to think. Henry Ford said this, thinking is the hardest work there is. That is probably why so few engage in it. Paul said this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be you transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. That word transformed uh, is the metamorphosis, as Kristen talked about on Mother's Day, the, the butterfly effect, that your mind is transformed, it's, it's renewed, and it's changed. That word renewed means it's changed and uh, transformed. We're not to be conformed to the world. We're to be transformed. That word conformed is not just talking about some uh, external lifestyle disciplines conformed to the world. It's talking about the mental ability or the mental uh, things that we think about, and it calls on us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So he says this, for I say, though the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And therein we see this push to be an active thinker. Do not think of yourself more highly. That means there's some thoughts that you control. But to think, you're to think soberly or humbly or in a controlled way as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Here we find Paul admonishing the church on the distinction between conformity and transformation. He says, it has to do with your thinking. It is an active thinking process. Paul would say to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, for the weapons of our warfare are what? Not carnal, but mighty in God to what? Pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations or casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And so we see Paul again imploring the church that you have a say in how you think. You have a say in how you think. So then we get to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul said. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So what is he transition or, uh, trading off here? This anxiety, this sense of emotion that everything's going wrong with an active thought to bring thanksgiving and prayer to God. 
It's saying you have the ability to trade your anxiety for an active thought life. And he says, and the peace of God. This is how the peace of God shows up. That the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind through Jesus Christ. And then he says this, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue or if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. Paul's description here in Philippians 4 is a practical way to bring every thought to the obedience of Christ. It provides the framework, in my opinion, Philippians 4, 8, provides the framework for a renewed mind. And so I want to quickly go through six thoughts for a renewed mind. Paul said, whatever is true. So what are you thinking about? In here, what are you actively thinking about? We know there's thoughts that are going to come through perception, things that are happening around us, but what's your active thought life doing? Whatever is true, he said, the word true is as to fact, it denotes the actuality of a thing. The true is that which corresponds to reality, and God Himself is the only final test. For truth. And so we realize that we are to think on things that are true. And what is the opposite? What do we think about? We think about lies. That's the opposite of that active thought life. Whatever is a lie. And certainly we don't probably dwell on lies in the sense that we're just going to think about lying all the time. But I, I think that we have a propensity to believe lies through our thoughts. We believe lies about people. We believe lies about situations. And we never can come to what's true because we've never brought it to God or we've never done what His Word tells us to do to actually, if somebody offends us, Rebuke them. Instead, we tell ourselves lies about why they did it and what what their real motive was, and we then change our life, we change our direction, and we allow our thought life to think these thoughts that are a lie. And we know where the father of lies is, and that's the enemy, Satan. He's the father of lies. But we are to have an active thought process where we believe truth. We think truth. And that truth only comes from God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Then he says, Paul says, to think about whatever is noble. Noble. That which inspires reverence or awe. Worthy of respect. It is the character quality that is required of deacons in the scripture. It's a, it's a quality in which you think about things that are reverent, not irreverent. 
We're not to be silly, just goof-offs and living life with this perpetual joke about everything. That there's certain things that require reverence and to think things and think things as honorable and to respect elements, whether it's in society or among each other, to have a sense of respect, to think those thoughts is important. The opposite, of course, is dishonorable, things that bring dishonor. And I would challenge us to guard our minds from dishonorable thoughts, thoughts that are always tearing down. I would even challenge whatever news media that you listen to. That the Bible calls on us to pray for our leaders. It doesn't say pray for Republicans or pray for Democrats. It says pray for our leaders. And so I, I just, I think that our thought life in this way, not that you don't disagree and you don't vote and you don't do those uh, things that we have been blessed with because of our freedom, but I think that we don't live life in such a cynical way that we dishonor people. Then he says, whatever is right or whatever is just, think on these things. The word is used of God himself who is righteous. He's a just God. And so to think on what is right is to think on the holy nature of God, to think on his righteousness, on his goodness in our life. And the opposite of that would be to think on things that are wrong or unjust. And we can dwell there too often. Then he says, whatever is pure, whatever is pure. The word refers to ceremonial purity, but also to a moral purity. It's especially meaning keeping our bodies undefiled by abstaining from sexual sins as listed in Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 5, 3 through 5, Paul warns, but do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Again, it's this active thought life. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous person who is an idolater, idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And as Christians, we must say no to our sexually impure culture and focus on a moral purity. And the opposite of this is unholiness, an unholy thought, impure thoughts, greed, lust, all of these things that is so easily prevalent in our thought life. He said, whatever is lovely, he described Kristen, but All right. <laughs> this word occurs only here in the New Testament. It means what is pleasing, agreeable, and attractive. And I think it, this one's a, an odd one to think about or to try to think about, but in looking at it and trying to make the most sense of it, I think 
the best way for me to articulate it is to be agreeable, to agree with Scripture, be quick to agree with Scripture. At times we find ourselves attracted to that which is evil or that which is rebellious, but this word must be taken with context, meaning it's pure, it's something that we should look to to find agreement. And I think the opposite, of course, is disagreeing with the Word of God. And to me, it kind of digs down to this critical spirit, this disagreeableness about everything that's preached or who preaches it, that will determine whether I agree with it or not. Whatever is lovely, if it's pleasing to God, then it's pleasing to God, whoever says it. And I, I have, I, I can be, I guess, transparent tonight in the sense that it's, it's easy when you go to conferences or I go to a general conference or I go to some place where there's preaching and I'm used to preaching, I'm used to uh, that kind of thing. It's easy to start picking apart what's being said or picking apart the, the concepts that they're talking about. And, and it's, it's easy to think about those things rather than to find myself in a spirit that's looking to hear what the Word of God says in my life, that the Word of God is lovely, it's attractive, it's agreeable for our lives. Then he says, whatever is of a good report, a good report. This comes from this idea that it's commendable or it's refraining from diving into just the negative sides of everything. It's this opposite of the children of Israel when they brought an evil report, the Bible says, when they were going to cross into the promised land. They, they told truth in a way they spoke truth, but they also brought it in a way that was without faith and wasn't in good in a in, in a good positive light. And I know you can't do that always, but I think we should be careful in our thought life not to allow negativity to be the rule of the day in our mind. That we, if we find ourselves attracted to negative news or negative stories being told by people. If you're that person who everybody wants to come and tell negative things to, then I think you need to be think about why it is that people want to tell you all the negative things that are going on in everybody's life. Whatever is of a good report, think on these things. Proverbs eleven thirteen: a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. Talebearer is not a liar. Talebearer is telling the truth. 
You're just telling a secret. You're telling somebody else's story. And it's a negative report. And Proverbs 17, 9, he who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. Think on good reports. Proverbs 26, 20, where no wood is, there the fire goes out. So where is, there is no tailbearer, the strife ceases. You have the ability, now I, I, I should have wore a, a robe because I'm in a little pastoral element here right now. <laughs> that you have the ability to stop gossip. You have the ability to stop people from feeling like everybody knows their business by just not telling another person. Confidentiality, and you can look through all of Proverbs and in the New Testament, confidentiality, discretion, is a very important theme throughout Proverbs. And so I I implore you that the culture of this church needs to be a culture of love where secrets aren't shared. Because if you take away the wood... The fire goes out. Stop talking about it. The fire goes out. Proverbs 26, 21. As coals are to a burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. In the words, verse 22, the words of a talebearer are as wounds. And they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. And I'm challenged by this thought, not because I know anything or, or am talking specifically about anything. I just know the church world and I know humanity. How many backsliders could come back to God if we could keep their struggles out of the discussion with among ourselves and instead discuss them with God? What's the biggest complaint from a backslider or somebody who's coming back to God? People are going to judge me because everybody knows my business. Because we want to talk about people as they walk out the door. And I don't, I, I'm just saying, I don't think that's the healthy approach to how we should treat people. And that's certainly not the thought life that, that Paul seems to indicate. He says, whatever is of a good report, think on those things. Talk about those things. If you hear a bad report, if you hear a negative situation, pray about it. Let the fire go out. And so he talks about these six things. And then he, after these six things, Paul changes the sentence structure in Philippians 4.8. And he begins the next two phrases with the word if. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just or right, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue... And if there is anything praiseworthy, think on these things. These final two qualities sum up all of the others, plus anything Paul has omitted. Virtue, this sense of excellence, this moral virtue, and anything that's worthy of praise, let that be your thoughts. 
Let that dominate the active thinking in your life. And when you allow those six things, if you took those six things to prayer, I guarantee you that you would find that your mind is renewed. Your mind would be renewed. That we think on things that are virtuous, things that are moral, and things that are praiseworthy. Praiseworthy. The word think that Paul uses is from a Greek word. It's where we get the word logic. Logic is an active thought process. And it's the root word, the root word that Paul uses is also from the Greek. It's logos, which we understand is the express thought of God. And so your thought life, how you process things, God wants us to be led of the Spirit. He wants His Spirit to control us, but He also wants us to be an active participant. You know how many thoughts you have a day? Some of you may say, not many. (laughs) Kristen thinks that about me. Not, not Not a lot going on there. But neuroscience say, scientists say that you have... 70,000 thoughts a day. I don't know who counted this. I don't don't even know how they counted it. But that's what they say. So in a year, that is roughly 2.5 million thoughts. Million thoughts. That's a lot of opportunities and a lot of options for thoughts. And in our walk with God, in our Christianity, if there's anything we need to be disciplined with, and anything we need to be active with and in control of, it is our thoughts. It is what we think of. Yes, you're going to have perceptions. You're going to have emotions. You're going to have things that come at you because of life. But we're called to be active thinkers, to think on good things, virtuous things, praiseworthy things. We conclude tonight with the powerful nugget of wisdom buried in the book of Proverbs. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. In Peter's second epistle to the church, he outlines what I believe is a plan to live out your life of faith. 2 Peter 1.5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, giving all diligence, This doesn't just happen. You're proactively working towards this. Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Add to your virtue knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly affection. And to brotherly affection, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Give all diligence to your faith, to add to your faith virtue and virtue knowledge. In my opinion, these three elements have to do with the mind. Faith is that belief in Jesus Christ. Add to your belief in Jesus Christ virtue or a moral thought life. 
Add to, it's the same word, this word virtue is the same one Paul used. Those are the only two people who used it. The only two places it's used is in First, Second Peter and in uh, the, what Paul wrote in Corinthians or Philippians. So faith, that belief in, belief in Jesus Christ then, add to that virtue, morality, this sense of thinking. And then add to that moral thinking, knowledge, understanding. And the remaining additions to your life have to do really with your actions. The Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter would have probably agreed with our philosopher, our French philosopher, in that I think, therefore, I am. But they would have taken it a step further. They would have suggested, I think, therefore, I do. Peter said, add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge. And when you're thinking right, these actions will follow this self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and what? Love. Not only do I think faith, virtue, and knowledge have to do with thought, I think that they should probably probably be a priority of our active thought and decision-making life. First, we filter our thoughts through faith in Jesus Christ. Our whole thought life should begin with this idea that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I have to understand first that he is my Messiah. He is my Savior. That's the first thing that every thought should go through. Secondly, we filter our thoughts through virtue, this sense of morality that comes both by the Spirit and by the Word of God. And finally, we filter our thoughts through knowledge. I think we're in danger when we begin our thought life with knowledge and end it with faith. That I base my belief on what I know I base my morality on what some knowledge I have is, and I'll base my belief in Jesus Christ based on knowledge and my created morality. But Peter says you start with faith, and you add to that faith morality. You add to that morality this knowledge. Whatever knowledge exists, it is all filtered through Jesus Christ. And so then, your belief in Jesus Christ should supersede every thought, feeling, and decision. And your belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior sets in motion your sense of moral thinking and your understanding of the things around you, your knowledge. And that filter then becomes the impotence and the impetus and the motivation for all action, which ultimately is love. The action of love is born out of a healthy thought life. So what are you thinking about tonight? What are you actively thinking? Not just passively letting thoughts go in and out in your imaginations and all that. What are you casting down? What are you pulling down? What are you bringing into captivity? What are you actively thinking about that is praiseworthy, that is virtuous? 
I feel challenged by the Lord tonight that our mental health, God has given us a prescription for mental health. Yes, we go through emotional struggles, we go through emotional times, and that's okay. And that's important that we submit that to the Lord, but he gives us a way to think through situations in our life. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for the opportunity to look into your word. That you have not left us to walk alone. You haven't left us to our own imagination, our own thoughts, but you've given us clarity into how we can live a transformed life. God, I pray there would be a transforming kind of courage in here tonight that we would not just accept negative thoughts. We wouldn't just accept, God, our ideas of things and negative reports we hear or lies we hear. But Lord, help us to think on things that are pure. Help us to think on things that are noble. Help us to think, Lord God, things that are praiseworthy and virtuous. God, that when the enemy may bring a thought and he may put something in front of us that causes a perception that leads us down a thought road, I pray that we would stand guard We would stand guard against those thoughts to not allow them to rule and reign. But Lord, that we would guard our thoughts, we would guard our hearts from the enemy, the lies of the enemy, the deception, the traps of the enemy. Lord, give us courage to think as you think. Let this mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.